Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the In Doubt Show. We got a fantastic show today. We're talking about procreation, actually. Uh, you know what? <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to the In Doubt Show. Listen, we got a fantastic program today. Today, we're talking about procreation. <laughs> Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the In Doubt Show. Listen, we got a fantastic program today. Today, we're talking about procreation, actually. We're talking about... <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the In Doubt Show. Listen, we got a fantastic program today. We're talking actually about procreation, which is going to be pretty interesting. Uh, you know, some people think, how do we deal with it with coworkers and family, friends who say Christianity uh, hasn't begotten? And so I, I've, I've been... Chris, we're here. We've been begotten. Uh... And we've begotten... You have kids, I have kids, and, and here, we want to be biblical. We always want to be biblical. No, so and, Matthew chapter one, uh, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judas. So we clearly see that uh, coworkers shouldn't be judging us for begetting. No, I I think you got that a little. It's, it's right it's, there. But I think she's talking about bigotry. Bigot. Yeah, like bigot. <laughs> okay, Abraham bigot Isaac. Isaac bigot Jacob and Jacob bigot Judas. That's I don't think that's what that's not what my Bible says. Um, so, anyways, that was a little weird, Chris. Um, so, oh bigot. Yeah, yeah, she's talking. Okay, the two different words, and I can just cut. I'll be like, <laughs> boom. I think that's funny, guys. <laughs> Marcus doesn't think it's funny. I feel like it didn't land quite as... <laughs> <laughs> Isaac, bigot, Jacob. It's, to me, the funny part is how desperately you're wanting to make this work. Oh, no, not again. Yeah. Hey everybody, welcome to the In Doubt Show. Uh, we got a fantastic show. I, I guess we've I've learned that we're actually talking about bigger, bigotry today, not yep. begotten. So um, uh, that's a thing. So I had to kind of rework some of my questions. But before we dive into today's conversation, I want to remind you, if you could like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Um, we really appreciate it. You can get up to date with all the things we're putting on YouTube. And if you're listening on Audio World, Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music... Uh, thank you for doing that. And you can leave a rating, leave a comment. We will really appreciate that. Uh, two more things really quickly. We have these books as well as another book called Quiet Spaces. This one's called Jake and the Christmas Surprise. Phil Calloway, laugh again. Uh, we love that man dearly. And this is a great resource and it is free for the month of November as well as Quiet Spaces. You can choose one or the other. So if you go to indoubt.ca, you can go and order your copy today. Also, Union Conference is happening this weekend, November 17, 18. And so if you don't have your tickets, my question is, why? How could you do that? Uh, we're going to be doing the Indoubt show live uh, on the Saturday at this conference, which I'm very excited about. It's our first time trying that. So we have Brian and Bonnie Pugh. We've had them on the show a few times. Uh, go to the unionmovement.com. Get your tickets today, this weekend, November 17, 18. It's going to be awesome. Um, that's it. Chris, how are you? I'm doing good. Begotten Chris. Thank yep. you for correcting me. That was quite embarrassing, actually. It, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I'm like, wow, Isaac, Abraham, all these bigots. This is crazy. No. Begot, be, begets. Uh, and we have a great guest in third chair today. Um, when you hear this music, you know him, you love him. It's Ginny of the oh, Land. No, we're not doing that, are we? Well, we were going to have Marcus Miller, but then we, oh. last minute, you know, once he heard it wasn't about begotten, he begot out of here. Ah, and that works. Uh -huh, uh -huh, Dad joke. Uh, but we actually have someone else in third chair. So when you hear this music. hum ba -dee dum hum ba -dee dum time to munch an early luncheon. hum ba -dee dum hum ba -dee dum time for something sweet. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Winnie the Pooh in the house today. Can you believe it? Why, hello there. Andrew. How's it going, Winnie? It is going so wonderfully well today. <laughs> That's amazing. How are you? I'm doing so. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy to be here. You know who else is happy to be here? Just <laughs> hang on a second. <laughs> why, hello, oh, wow. puny old pal. Hey, it's Tigger. A, uh, why, hi, Andrew. How's, How's it, it going? going? I'm good. How's How are you? it going, Tiggerific? <laughs> That's what I can say. <laughs> wow, I can't believe both of them in the room. We have third and fourth chair. We got Winnie and Tigger. Amazing. It's a little exhausting. Oh, boy. Not that it matters. Oh, boy. Oh, Things Bob. got a little bit depressing. He's um, a little bit of a downer. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> 
Okay, for people in audio world, they're probably just picturing all these characters in the room. Huh? But if you're watching on YouTube, we know that it is actually the man, the myth, the legend, Marcus Miller in the house. How you doing, Marcus? <laughs> I am doing well. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing great. It must be so cool to do a lot of voices. Like it's, I just feel like my life would be a lot more exciting. It's a good way to entertain yourself. <laughs> His voicemail is Winnie the Pooh. Is it really? Yes. <laughs> I always forget what my voicemail is because I change it to keep it uh, interesting. That is hilarious. <laughs> For a while, it was Christopher Walken. <laughs> Unfortunately, Marcus is unavailable to come to the phone right now. But if you leave a message... Well, you know, he might get back to you. Anyways, bye. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is ridiculous. Um, anyways, Marcus, you're doing well though? Life's good? I'm doing well. I'm moving on, on Monday. Wow, moving is not easy. It's, it's, a, lot it's of work. a time. It's a, it's time. a time. It's a time and a half. Yeah, and it's you good sh- though. you shaved. I did. And I heard that the mustache is going to leave too which is it is that's going to be wild i am going to be performing in a in a play yep in a couple of weeks and they told me that apparently men did not sport beards in the 1700s so that uh gotta go clean shaven it, it needs to be clean shaven just by, in time for winter <laughs> yeah it grows back that's the, it grows the back. good news yep mine grows back like within the hour <laughs> why don't you grow a big because mine, I, I don't think, I think it's my patience. Like, I, it just stops. I tried one time and I, I had to shave it because I was flying to the States and I didn't want to, didn't want to give off the wrong impression. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Um, and I was still randomly selected. Let the record show. I always get randomly selected. I don't want to talk about it. Anyways, uh, we got a great <laughs> show for us today. We have a really great show for us today. In all seriousness, um, this is a very important talk. I know we were being a little silly up front for the cold start, but uh, we hear this term bigot a lot. We're hearing it more and more. And did you have a definition out there? I know we we're going to ask her for a definition, but you know, we talked about it being um, unreasonable. Here, I, have, I wrote it out right here. Someone who is unreasonably attached to a belief, opinion, or faction, especially one who is prejudiced against or antagonistic toward a person or people on the basis of their membership of a particular group. And so when I read that definition, there's a, they always give you like a little example. Uh, there's two examples here. In a sen- use it in a sentence. Don't let a few small-minded bigots destroy the good image of the city, is a quote. Here's another one. Don't let the bigot tell you that your joke isn't funny for the cold open that you just did regarding begotten. And then there's a picture of Marcus. <laughs> I wow. just didn't think it landed. Uh, he did not like the joke and he kind of started, there was a little bit of bigotry, I think. I, I, I think I wouldn't go as far as to say that. I thought it was hilarious, but that's because we are dads, Chris and I, Probably. and Marcus doesn't beget it. Because he hasn't I, I'd like to hear from other dads in, in the comments. Comment Did below. you think it was funny? Comment below. Did you think that joke was funny? Right now. <laughs> We're waiting. We'll wait. We will wait all... Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but let us know. I, th- I thought it was funny. But to the dads, to the people who aren't dads yet, to, to the moms, to people who aren't moms yet. Anyways, um, so speaking of bigotry we should jump in the conversation wow, okay <laughs> um let's jump into the conversation with caitlin feblus yes chris was certain it was feebles <laughs> i don't want to throw you under the bus <laughs> but, but here i am you're thrown <laughs> under the bus but here he is under the bus <laughs> i'm just kidding um but let's uh let's dive in and uh she has some great things to say about it christopher walken could you lead us into the interview here so that we can get going let's cut to the interview All right, so we have Caitlin Feblis all the way in Nashville, Tennessee. How are you doing? Hey, Andrew, I'm good. Doing awesome. great. Awesome. Hey, so I'm so pumped that I was able to, I mean, we had kind of not like, I want to say bets because we're not gambling people, but we were all trying to figure out, okay, how do you say the last name? And someone's like, oh, it's Feebles for sure. It's Feebles. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's Feblis or Feble. Maybe she's French living in Nashville. I didn't know. 
That's when I'm feeling fancy. That's I go what, by yeah, that when yeah. I'm feeling fancy. When you go to Target, you're like, hey, faible. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but on my average nine to five day, just stuff with. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. So did you say that that's, uh, you're transitioning from, you know, Caitlin Miller, faible, so are you newly married? That's right. I am. I got married in January of this year. Nice. So nine and a half months in. Come on. Congratulations. Thanks. That's amazing. Thanks so much. Um, it really I, is. And so, uh, so you're in Nashville, Tennessee, which is my favorite place in the world. And you work at my favorite restaurant. You're at Chick-fil-A, which is like amazing. It is a phenomenal place. <laughs> I love the restaurant and then everything I know about the inside. It just makes you love it more. Oh, that's amazing. Honestly, like every experience I've had there has been amazing. And so you work at the, mm-hmm. you work at Chick-fil-A, you're in the support center. And, um, so how why is the chicken so good i thought i thought it's because maybe they like you know deep fried and like oil from israel or something and it's like they baptize the chicken i don't know listen i can either confirm or deny (laughs) on the record uh exact source of it all (laughs) but hey that's amazing that's so funny um okay so um, we're talking about something very, very important today. And I love that you are bringing this up and that you uh, wrote about this. Um, just this idea that what do we do when coworkers, and it even extends to non-Christian friends or non-believing family members, uh, when they just assume and uh, just accuse Christianity of being bigoted. Now, we've heard the term bigoted, bigotry, bigot. Uh, it's been used more and more. And I'm very... Um, uh, blessed that you're writing about this because I feel like as culture continues to be anti-God and go away from the truths of Scripture, uh, believers are going to be accused of this more and more. And so maybe before we even dive into it, um, give us a little bit of your definition. What would you say uh, the definition of a bigot would be when you're talking about this? Yeah, so two things. Because I'm a nerd, I go back to uh, the actual literal definition pretty often. Yeah, that's good. Which, uh, just a true literal look at it, usually means something along the lines of someone who holds to a belief unreasonably. Hmm. So two things there. One, I would argue, and I think you would probably be with me, that we believe Christianity is the most reasonable explanation Hmm. for who we are, why we're here, how this earth got here, why we should believe what we do about life and mortality and life after death and all of that. So the idea that Christianity is about throw logic and reason out the window and just take a blind leap of faith into some crazy ideas is not what we believe. We actually believe this is a reason anchored faith. So that's one uh, in terms of really addressing the literal definition of the word. But I think Mm -hmm. in conversations, what's probably most important is to understand what that person means by the word bigoted when they use it. Hmm. To really press them on that, not to try to nail them down to a dictionary definition necessarily, but what do they mean by it? Because to your point, we hear it everywhere, and my suspicion is that we could get a hundred different definitions if we asked a hundred people on the street right now. Yeah. And we're gonna have the most effective conversation with that person when we best understand what they mean and what they're actually thinking and where they're coming from. Yeah. So I'd probably start by asking them to define what they mean for it. That's a really good point. And I feel like, you know, we just finished a series, uh, a three-week series going through, um, you know, it's called World Religions Unraveled. We walked through Mormonism and Catholicism. It's so good, Andrew. And, oh, thank you. That's amazing. It's a good. But you know what's really fascinating? You know, when we ask for advice for some people, um, how do we engage? And, you know, we're trying to create resources for young people. They also, a few people said, ask questions. Um, you know, like even when we did the Buddhism one, it was like, okay, we talk about karma. It's like, well, let's define karma for me because most people might not have a proper definition of the legit meaning of karma. And so I love how you say that we got to ask questions instead of just kind of going on the attack. No, no. Like, tell me, what do you mean when you say the word bigot? I think that's very, very helpful that -hmm. we're asking questions. Um, so, you know, now that we know, okay, so it's unreasonable and, we believe that, you know, the gospel and the word and Christianity is the most reasonable thing. I love how you say that. So now, what made you uh, even talk about this? Did you have a personal experience being in like the mainstream, you know, world in Chick-fil-A? Yeah. Yeah. 
Totally. So a couple things. One, sort of the source of this writing with the Gospel Coalition is a series called Thorns and Thistles, and Mm. it is about answering questions that are written in by other readers. So I say that just because clearly, like you've already said, this is something that a lot of us are considering and dealing with. Mm -hmm. Um, But the reason it really stood out to me and resonated is something I'd love to jump in and try to offer an answer to is because absolutely I've lived it as we all have to your point it's coworkers, but it's also classmates and neighbors and friends I was a public school kid all the mm-hmm. way through from first grade to college so it was always in a secular school mm-hmm. setting always surrounded by uh, people of all kinds of belief that's true by the way even in a private Christian school sometimes For but sure. yeah. was especially true in a public yeah. school and then I've always held jobs since college in not the nonprofit or ministry sphere, at least. Uh, you know, Chick fil A is a phenomenal organization with a corporate purpose that literally starts with to glorify God. Amazing. So there's a beautiful weaving of faith into everything we do. But still, just by the nature of our work, I work in fast food and I work with partners and, you know, business partners inside and outside Chick fil A all across the spectrum there in terms of belief. So just encountering that in my own life made me really excited to write about it for sure. It's huge. And so I feel like, okay, so how do Christians balance this need? Because it's it's there. Bigotry is present and it's amongst us. So how do we balance this need to address the misconceptions of Christianity while also being respectful, loving? How do we, how do you find um, we can do that well? Yeah. For one thing, I, in my experience, have been surprised to see how often the opportunities come to me instead of me having to seek them out. Hmm. This is rarely me trying to press coworkers for, excuse me, what is your perception of Christianity on a scale of one to bigoted? Uh, (laughs) Normally it comes up, it comes to us, you know, it comes up whether it's somebody's response to hearing what we believe and then sort of voicing their concerns or frustrations with it. Or we find ourselves in the break room at a lunch table where this suddenly comes up because of some headline yesterday about some atrocity Mm -hmm. committed in the name of Christianity. I think a lot of times we sort of find ourselves put in the position either of being asked to respond or at least we're at the decision point of whether we're going to say something or just kind of hide from it a little bit and let it pass us by. Mm -hmm. So to quote the classic verse, we want to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that mm. is in us and be prepared mm. to give a reason for why we still believe this stuff, even in wake of some legitimately terrible things that all yeah. Christians, including us, have committed. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You you mentioned in that writing um, just the importance of affirming Christ while denouncing unchristlikeness. That's really hard to do. Yeah. Yeah, it and surely it's got to be both because mm-hmm. the danger is if we affirm Christ without denouncing Christ likeness, we we don't meet people where they are with the barriers of how can I believe this based on what I've seen Christians do. They've likely still got such a callousness and hard heartedness and frustration built up with blinders that they have no interest in even looking to Jesus first. They feel mm-hmm. like we're not hearing them. We're not acknowledging right. it. We're not contrasting the difference here between Jesus and what they've seen Christians commit. But then on the other hand, if we do the flip, if we are willing to denounce on Christ likeness without affirming Christ, we stop too short. Mm -hmm. We denounce what is not Christ-like, but we don't leave them with any hope of Mm -hmm. turning to the Christ that we still believe um, all the more so because of unchrist likeness that we see throughout the world. We see him as all the more our, our desperate needed hope as the only perfect human life. So it's got to be both for us. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, that's so good. And what's it like, like, you know, if you've had personal experiences, how would you encourage uh, Christians who are engaging in this conversation, how would you encourage them to engage in conversations with family or coworkers or neighbors uh, when they've been hurt by other Christians? Because we all fall yeah. short. Yeah, absolutely. Um We've said it already, but I just don't think we can emphasize enough the power of listening with humility. Mm. I mean, truly listening, not what I'm guilty of at times, which is the, I'm just forming my response to what you're saying while I'm being quiet, Mm. but actually Mm. 
actively listening with open hands and a soft heart. We need to be willing to let our heart break over what some people have been through. We need to be really clear about calling things out and being willing to acknowledge what is not okay. I think a lot of times people just don't feel heard. And the old adage of people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think there's a blocker up for people's willingness to listen to and seek to understand us if they don't first feel heard and understood themselves. So that's my first piece of of advice for myself, for all of us, is that we truly listen and hear what their real concerns are, because our conversations with them will be so much more effective and specific and powerful if we're able to actually address Mm-hmm. what their hangups are based on their unique story instead of us just coming with our canned stump speech of the eight points that we think are the, are the perfect case. Mm-hmm. So that's the first. Um, I think we'll just learn so much by asking good questions and listening with humility. But then going back to what we just talked about, I think there's a really powerful way to denounce unchristlikeness while affirming Christ. And we can be that confident in it because that's what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus had no problem calling out the behavior of quote religious people in his Mm -hmm. day that was not actually representative of god's word and we can do the same thing Mm -hmm. without being disparaging or unnecessarily judgmental towards other christians we can both acknowledge their unchrist likeness affirm what the beauty and goodness Mm -hmm. and truth is of christ that we believe that person we're talking to by the way is most desiring and seeking whether they know it yet or not everything they would find in jesus is actually what they know and want most um but we can also approach that with the humility of acknowledging our own sin Mm -hmm. i mean whatever egregious thing is their bigoted christianity uh explanation there any parts of that that are unchristlike at least um, even if those aren't sins that we feel like we may have directly committed in that sense, Lord knows literally I'm full of sin. And so is whether that person yet acknowledges that the person across from us too, they and we both have had hateful thoughts that are at the same root of those hateful actions that they may be decrying as bigoted. So using all of that to point to all of our need for some sort of salvation, for some sort of source of what is good and true, but then also the ability enter the Holy Spirit to actually carry that out and move forward with that power. I think that just sets us up for a kind of gospel presentation. Amazing. It takes a lot of uh, confidence in your faith to even begin to have these conversations and to listen well. And, you know, a lot of people I know are, are, and I myself too, sometimes is like, I'm just overwhelmed to even confront something because I'm worried to offend. I'm worried to hurt. I'm worried to, uh, what, what advice would you give for, I mean, I know we want to engage in conversation. So we listen and we hear, and and I mean, the reality is every person has a different story. And so you can't cookie cut this and, you know, apply all but, you know, say we engage, yeah. we listen, we hear. Do you have any advice for someone who, okay, now it's time to present? Yeah. You know, I obviously don't know for sure. But if I had to guess, I wonder if two of the most powerful tactics the enemy is using right now to thwart apologetics is either one, Christians who go at it with such uh, lack of love for the person that they're mm-hmm. talking to, that it comes across aggressively, hostilely, just not compassionately and without a listening ear on the one hand. But then I wonder if another tactic the enemy is using a lot is the discouragement and fear in believers of, I don't know all the answers yet, so I can't enter into this at all. I think a lot of times we feel such a, yeah, but what am I going to say if they ask me about the dinosaurs? You know, I can't <laughs> enter into this conversation because I, I haven't formed my full thoughts on that yet from an apologetic standpoint. And we let that fear hmm. paralyze us from a conversation. I think that's why just starting with listening is so powerful because any, we can listen. Mm-hmm. We don't even have to have any answers just yeah. to listen, to have the humility of that. And then to use that to start building a relationship of love and remembering too that we can always come back with answers later. We can always yeah. pause in a conversation and say, gosh, that's a great question. I don't know either, but I want to dig into it too, because I'm with you in that I want to believe a faith going back to how we started. That's reasonable and mm-hmm. trustworthy and good. So mm-hmm. I'm just as invested with you in us figuring this out together. Um, I think also too, it helps to just level the playing field a little bit by remembering that 
instead of this being us against them, mm. or we're supposed to have all the right answers and they're the ones putting us on trial, we're both humans on this earth trying to think through and discern these theological issues together. Theology is just what you think about God. So we're both on the same playing field here with what we think about God. And both of us have to have some sort of explanation for how the earth got here, how humans have mind thoughts and emotions and souls and beings. And we've got to have some sort of explanation for how evil is dealt with in the end and who even gets to decide what defines good and evil anyways. So as you're having those conversations, remembering, it's not like the whole burden of proof mm. here is on me That's and good. I've got to have a sure, sure case for everything. Me and this coworker, me and this friend, me and this neighbor, me and this family member are both seeking truth here, I hope, and are both at least just trying to have a conversation about what we think truth is and why we can believe what we do. And I think the last thing is, again, to the point of just being prepared to give a defense for the reason for the hope that's in you. I think especially in our world today that can become increasingly universalistic, um, not wanting to be nailed down on one specific set of beliefs, knowing someone who really believes what they believe with conviction, even maybe especially in the face of opposition, or at least those who disagree with them, is really compelling. Hmm. Even to those who might disagree with them, it's compelling to meet somebody with conviction. Even if that's conviction over a diet plan, someone who's really convicted about this diet plan really worked for me, people start to get intrigued. They're like, I don't know if I'm going to buy it, but sure, tell me what paleo is. Hmm. It's, it's just <laughs> intriguing. It's yeah. compelling to hear somebody with conviction. So being able to give people a reason for, you know, I may not be able to answer every single one of the 10,000 of apologetics questions out there, but given all that I know in the world and all I've studied and all I've thought about, Here's why I really believe Jesus is who he said he is, mm. enough that I've leveraged my whole life for him. That alone is about all the preparation you need, certainly, to start. Yeah, that's so good. And just a reminder of that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that we're, it's not yeah, an us versus right. them or them versus us. It's, hey, we all fall short of the glory of God. So true. And we're trying to navigate together. And I love what you're saying where it's just, you know, if you're just super convicted, people see it and people are intrigued. I don't have yeah. all the answers, but people, my neighbors can tell that I love Jesus. I talk about him all the time. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's um, you know, even when you go to, when you bring friends to a church and, you know, people are worshiping and there's so much passion and hunger for God, they're like, wow, there must be something. Like they're yeah. intrigued. It's almost like, um, you know, it's like contagious. Like, I want a, I want a piece of that. And so I love how you're just saying, you know, when we're convicted in God's word, when we stand on truth, people take notice. You know, I had a buddy who, uh, he became a buddy. He was also helping me with my backyard. We hired him. but um, That's a good friend. That's a good friend to have. Um, but anyways, we were just talking on the driveway before we left and just started talking. To, I just brought up God and, you know, different things. And we ended up talking for a long time. But um, he said, you know, I, I tried Christianity. I went to a church and, but they were saying like, yes and amen to a whole bunch of stuff that he thought was against the Bible and he's right, mm -hmm. but they were trying to be, you know, not offending anyone, whatever, blah, 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 whatever, whatever the case is. But I do see a lot of churches doing this, uh, to avoid being called bigots and be offensive or whatever. But, uh, you know, the churches are doing this to love and accept and to almost be like seeker sensitive and make space for all people. But then non-believers are coming and they're saying, well, that's weird. Like I went there because I wanted them to have a firm stance and be yeah. solid in what they believe. And they just weren't even doing that. And so non-believers are attending the church. And here we are thinking we're doing like a good service to just be really, you know, loose in all of our theology and our beliefs. Non-believers are coming saying, wait a minute, I I want you to tell me yeah. like what you believe and I want you to believe it. And yeah. so for Christians, I'm noticing, you know, they're becoming more and more loose with their theology so that no one's offended and they don't get called a bigot and all that kind of stuff. But actually these non-believing friends, they, they're hungry and they want it. Yeah. And now we're yeah. doing a disservice 
in hiding the gospel and not telling them the truth because we're worried it's going to hurt them, but they're actually desperate for truth. Yeah. I mean, goodness, we're always doing a disservice when we hide the gospel and don't tell the truth. That's just always true. Uh, We're always doing a disservice when that's the case. But gosh, I think you're right. I mean, I think your friend is an example of more than we might assume. I think people are hungry for the ability to tether themselves to something that's Mm. true, Mm. something that is true and good and right. We obviously live in a world where the headlines sway from one place to the next every day. We don't know which news source we can trust because of its bias. And the fashion trends are going to change next year. We're going to be embarrassed by what we're wearing today and probably like three years max. Uh, maybe we won't. Maybe we're confident <laughs> I, enough people. I but not. I'm not that person. I don't know. Good. You shouldn't. That, that happened works great. It looks timeless. <laughs> but we live in a in a world that's just so shifty. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think people are people are hungry for that. We'd be foolish not to be hungry, any of us, for mm-hmm. the confidence that we have tethered ourselves to what's true, regardless mm-hmm. of what the waves are going to try to toss us to and fro from throughout our whole lives. So, I mean, the question for that kind of church that he's going to, that is if they're honest with themselves or not seeking more to pacify the people than to stand for what's true. Mm. It's just a question of what they'll be preaching in 20 or 30 years, because it'll just be a matter of whatever the tides of culture are telling them that they should. And again, this is so scriptural because God's word from Genesis through the end of the book, and then now ongoing in the church was constantly rejected by culture and the people around them for a whole host of reasons. It just depended on what that culture held to and in what way that contradicted God's word, but God's word didn't change. Mm -hmm. That's the hope and anchor of our whole faith. So if we're not tethered to that, we'll shift to whatever the sands could be in whatever years. And I think people are just hungry for something they can trust. They know that they themselves can just adapt to whatever the culture is doing. They don't need, they don't need the church to help them do that. Mm -hmm. They need the church to be a beacon and an unchanging pillar of what's true come what may from the world. That's so good. And I think that's such an important word that we need to hear. Christians need to hear. The churches need to hear. Um, Yeah. We, we, we gotta, we gotta stand firm. So in, in this context of this topic of bigotry and being bigots, all that we're talking about, can you share some examples? Like if we want to have a biblical perspective, I know we've been talking about different scriptures, but can you share some examples of maybe individuals in the Bible who, or communities that faced this criticism or this backlash because they were going against culture? I mean, obviously there's so many. Are there any that stick, right. out, stick out to you? Right. There are so many. You know, an easy answer is just to look at the Christian, as in post-Christ, who was first killed for their faith. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about Stephen in the book of Acts. And I think a couple of things that are really compelling about Stephen's story is, one, the way that he caught people's attention by the evident presence of God in his life. Mm-hmm. In this case, it was Stephen's face literally glowing, which is not necessarily <laughs> what I expect to happen to mine or any other Christian's face. Would love to see it, to be clear. But regardless, <laughs> there was a compelling evidence to the people around him that he had God's presence in his life. Mm. And I say that just because, you know, take the fruit of the spirit alone to live in our day and age with patience in the midst of a hurried, frazzled culture, to live with peace in an anxious culture, to live with gentleness in a combative culture. You can walk through every fruit of the spirit. And those are extraordinarily compelling things Mm. that the world will see as being countercultural and unworldly if it's being honest, if they see those in our lives, because the source isn't in us anyways, the source is truly of the spirit. So that's one, um, just the fact that he lived in a way and had a presence about him that was compelling. The second is Stephen knew his Bible. I mean, just as a side note, if you want a quick cliff notes of the Old Testament, just read Stephen's debrief in that little like on the spot testimony he knew the word. Mm. What's interesting, though, is that as the people give him a chance to talk and Stephen's walking through the history of God's people, they're willing to listen. The crowd that's persecuting him, that's wanting to seek his death, is listening 
all the way up to the point where Stephen becomes really clear about their sin, God's judgment apart from saving faith in Christ, but also Jesus is the way and the truth and the life who is able to be their atonement. Mm. And that's when the whole ruckus breaks out and they lose it and start throwing stones. So I say that because as much as we absolutely should listen with humility, denounce on Christ-likeness, seek to meet them on common ground, there is a point where I think the Spirit, surely to the point of not masking the gospel, will lead us to lay out the exclusive claims yeah. of Jesus yeah. that may or may not be accepted at that point or in the span of our relationship by that person point to lay out the fact that Jesus does claim to be the way and the truth and the life and why we believe that's the greatest news and mm-hmm. laying that out. But Stephen obviously didn't shy away from laying out that truth. And we can expect that at times. Goodness knows if the world killed our founder, we should expect no less. I mean, Jesus told us that if the world hated me, it will hate you also as my mm-hmm. followers, which isn't that we should be going out seeking to stir up people's hatred, but just knowing, being prepared yeah. that people hating us for the message of Christ is yeah. not necessarily proof that we're doing something wrong. It mm-hmm. could be an indication based on our means or our word or our attitude or our unlovingness, but it's not necessarily proof. Um, and then I think the the last note just with Stephen is the way that even at the end of Stephen's death, all the way through to just when he is looking up at heaven still Stephen's compassion for those people. I mean, Stephen's mm. last prayer in that moment is, Father, do not hold this sin against them. So in our conversations, as we're approaching it with love for this person, all the way through the conversation, all the way to the end, the point, the goal for us is never just to win the point. Mm-hmm. The goal is never to win the argument, to have the mic drop moment, to rile up aggression the whole point is to love this person all the way through and seek to point them towards the God who is drawing them to himself and trust the Lord with the work that's out of our hands. But all the way through, we're trying to to prove and demonstrate our love for them as a reflection of God's love for them first. That's so good. He's a great, that's a great case study to just see how he responded. He was bold, but it came from a yeah. love, not a, I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, that's a great example. And, and it reminds me of, you know, because you, you have a good point. You know, Jesus told us that, you know, they hated me first, but they, people are going to not like this message. They've never liked this mm-hmm. message. Um, but it's important for us to share it. And it just reminds me, we had an episode uh, last season with a guy named Matt Smethurst. And uh, he just mentioned, you know. Matt is great. He's amazing. And I, I always remember this. He just said, you know. It's like we're delivering the mail. We're mailmen and mailwomen. We go, we deliver the mail. We don't tamper with the message. We don't change the message. We're just delivering the message. And then we walk away. And it's not, it's not connected to us how people feel when they hear the gospel message. We're separate from that. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they hate us per se. They're just rebel. They just don't want to believe that truth that we're presenting, the message we're giving but it's not connected to us. Like we just deliver the mail and, you know, they deal with the message as they do it. And, and we love them and Stephen loved and he loved till the end, but he did deliver the message and it was very clear. He didn't tamper with it, didn't change it uh, to make people less offended. Um, But it's just a good reminder that there comes a time where we do step up and we present and we're not responsible for the outcome. And we don't have to feel bad if someone says, no, I don't want that. Okay. Like, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. twist your arm, you know. And we have people in our family and friends that I have where I've presented it. And some people, you know, a month ago uh, presented it to a, a good friend of mine. And he just said, I want Jesus in my life and repented of his sins mm. and accepted Christ. And it was the most beautiful thing. Of, you know, mm-hmm. you remember how beautiful it is when that, and then there's other people who said, get away from me. I don't want anything to do this. And I said, okay, like, I'm not going to twist your arm. We're not called to twist people's arms. We still yeah. love them. We still hang out with them. There's no problems, but we wanted to make sure the message is clear. And I think um, the example of Stephen is perfect because we just, we just share the message share the testimony and, and 
um, the outcome is not up to us. That's so good. And it's so freeing. It's so yeah. freeing to remember. I don't deserve the glory for this person's salvation if they do come to the Lord. Yeah. And I'm not the one solely responsible for them coming to the Lord. Like right. I can't do the work that only the spirit can do to go yeah. into the conversation with that level of freedom. And just with the prayer of Lord, give me wisdom in mm-hmm. what to say, what not to say, how to say it, fill me with your love for this person. Let me not be a clanging symbol, as Paul says, who's yeah. speaking without love and then work through all this as only you can. Um, give me the grace to trust you more, to trust yeah. you with everything that's out of my hands here too. keep yeah. working this like leaven through their life. Even after this conversation, your word in their life, not mine. Yeah. That's so freeing. It's and so I think freeing. gives us a lot of courage going into those conversations too. Yeah. And so freeing to know that we don't have all the answers. And so freeing Absolutely. to know that the levels, like the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all in this together. So when you take all yeah. that we've talked about, whoa, it is really like I feel very free. I could breathe because I don't need to have all the yeah. answers. I All I have to do is share what God's done in my life and share the gospel story and not worry about the outcome, uh, good or bad. And it's just, it is very liberating to know that it's not on our shoulders. Yeah. And we can have confidence. Thank goodness. Absolutely. I mean, if we had to have all the answers or if we were responsible for the outcome, we would never share, which is probably what the enemy is trying to get us to do. That's probably exactly why he's trying to tie our hands or paralyze us with fear right then. We would never, we would never take a step into those conversations ever. But I love how you said it. You're exactly right. We can trust him to equip us with what we need for that day and to keep doing that one day at a time. One day at a time. And I loved how you talked about um, the fruit of the spirit. And I think that's also... Uh, just like they see the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all these things that are just so just mind-blowing to even have one. And so people yeah. will see that, whoa, he's just this or she's just so kind. Like it's just something is. And people see that. It's almost as if believers' faces are glowing because there's yeah. something so uniquely different in a world that is opposite of those fruit. And um for our people who are watching, we need to remind them today, okay, well, how do we obtain the fruit? Well, we need to abide in Christ, be in his word, abide in Christ. The branches aren't trying to push out a fruit. They're just connected. Mm -hmm. And so when we're connected and we're close, fruit is going to grow and people will see that fruit and it will be a testimony and people will be very intrigued because it looks different from the ways of the world. I think that's important for people to be reminded. You can't come up with this fruit. You can't grow the fruit on your own. Impossible. A branch can't do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to have a source. Got to have a source. Got to be tapped into it. You're right. Yeah, that's so good. Amazing. Um, Well, we really appreciate your time today. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. You have to say that. I had to. I know. I had to say it, Andrew. Oh, it's so amazing. instinctive, but I had to get it in. It really my is. My pleasure, pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, no, seriously, it was our pleasure having you on the In Doubt Show. And um, we are grateful for what you're doing uh, with Gospel Coalition, with Desiring God, all that you're writing and all you're doing in your work life, too. We're just grateful for you. And um, yeah, thank you. This is awesome. Thank you, Andrew. I'm grateful for your team. I'm following along. I'm cheering y'all on. Thanks You're for amazing. having me today. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Okay, so that was significantly different than Begotten. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I feel even more embarrassed. I'm getting more and more embarrassed as I think back to earlier. I'm getting more today's... embarrassed for you. Wow, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks, man. I really appreciate it. That's three. I, I told them before we pressed record, uh, three days no sleep. So this is what happens. I'm overtired. I'm in a lot of physical pain. And I say a lot of things that are... uh, Careful with your words. (laughs) Not good. Not good. Anyways, uh, great conversation though. Yeah. She's awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chick-fil-A. So one of you told me, I can't remember who it was, who has never tried Chick-fil-A? I have never tried Chick-fil-A. We'll be right back after these messages from (laughs) Chick-fil-A. They're not our sponsors. I love Chick-fil-A. Have you had it? Yeah. How many times have you had it? I I don't know. Okay. I'm, 
I'm my lo- my love affair of Chick-fil-A is not as deep as yours. It's so pleasant. Like it's so pleasant to be there. It's amazing. Um, but uh, she has some great things to say on this topic of uh, what to do when people accuse Christianity of being bigoted. And, and I think that's going to happen more and more in today's culture. But I think a big one, obviously, right away, she mentioned it a few times, uh, the importance of listening. Yeah. And don't just like pretend listen, like actually listen. Um, I thought that was very, it's a good reminder because I feel like a lot of us, we have an agenda right away yep. to just like, we have our attack plan and we're ready to like combat the lies with truth. But that's just not the best approach. But to actually listen and ask questions and ask them to define what do they yeah. mean when they say the word bigot? You know, like they might have a different definition. And so um, that was a very good takeaway. Yeah. But how hard is it actually to do that in a real life situation when you're in a conversation with someone, especially if they're throwing out words like bigot? Like that's a pretty inflammatory yeah. uh, term. I, I don't. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm just. I'm just saying. Like, wow, interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, who's gonna cry? Who's gonna cry? Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like have, having the self restraint mm-hmm. in that situation to, like, to not go straight into attack mode. Yeah. But to listen when someone is attacking your faith and, you know, calling you a bigot. Like yeah, that's, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say? Have you guys, uh, like, in conversations with people, have you ever been personally called a bigot? I haven't been called that term. Yeah, I don't think I have either. But I feel like people have maybe you thought see, that of me. And you see that in the media a lot. I feel yes. like that's where I'm seeing it a lot yes. more of yes definitely people um, wouldn't just throw that term around but yeah. they would act like if you look at the definition they might accuse us of being unreasonable and all that yeah. kind of stuff right i just know for myself i've i've never personally been called a bigot until today by you yeah i know but um and I was, i'm overtired man and i was angry <laughs> <laughs> fair enough uh but like, because I, I think it is true that we will be known by our fruits. Yes. And how you talk with people mm-hmm. makes a huge difference in how you are perceived and how Christians are perceived because we are ambassadors for the truth. Yeah. And I think it's how you talk with people and, and making that concerted effort to listen that goes a long way in people's perceptions of what Christianity even is. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't even know what Christianity can look like because all they have seen are Christians Mm -hmm. that are bigoted. Yeah. I I, I think that's something that's important to recognize as well. Yeah. How do we combat being called bigots, but also in listening to those people, I think we need to reflect are we being bigoted in that moment Hmm. or are we as Christians being bigoted in, in these areas? Mm -hmm. Are we listening to them and are we actually taking it in? Yeah. And having compassion and loving. Remember she mentioned that too. Like if they see the love, like even Stephen, like his love and compassion for the people who, you know, in that, in that passage you mentioned, I, I just feel like you're right. Like if we live that out, people will see and be intrigued and maybe there's a lot of Christians who are doing a disservice. And she even said that, man, so many churches and Christians are, we're just not living up to how we ought to be living. Yeah. And we got to question mm-hmm. ourselves too. Like, am I like what you're saying? That's perfect. It's like asking ourselves questions almost. Am I being a bigot right now? Am I being judgmental or rude or harsh or cold or judgmental? You know? And, and we need that love. Mm-hmm. For people, and, yes. and she mentioned like we're we're all just human beings. Yes, yeah, on this on this planet. Yeah. yeah, we're all just trying to 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 get through this thing called life. Yeah, we have the joy and hope in Christ that we want to share with mm-hmm. the world, and I think it starts from having that yeah. love for other people. Yes, 
and just coming alongside them and showing them what Christianity is. Yeah. And I think like as the world continues to go against God's ways and his design, I think genuine believers who are rooted in scripture and who are living Matthew 7, like they will know you by your fruit. So when you see the fruit of the Spirit in people's lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all these things, people are going to be like, whoa, as the world gets darker, our light, of that Christ's light in us is going to shine significantly brighter and people are going to be aware and be intrigued and ask mm-hmm. questions. I loved how she was just talking about how we engage in conversation, how we listen a lot, um, how we ask questions, get them to even define what a bigot is because there's hundreds of definitions. Everyone has their own definition. I thought that was huge. And I just loved how she said, um, you know, when we live out Christ's likeness, it's very intriguing and almost like contagious. I want what that person has. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's really important. And and you're right, Chris, like just thinking about it now, like how do you act loving or listen when someone's yeah. like attacking you? And maybe I was thinking about that more too. In today's day and age, it might not be so much a face-to-face encounter, mm. but I feel like a lot of these conversations are happening over social media Yeah, where it makes it a lot easier to yeah kind of be more aggressive and put your opinion out there and yeah sort of blast someone i guess yeah um that also requires i guess more patience and actually mm-hmm. trying to convey that you're listening i realize that's a harder thing to do probably over over social media but yeah i i think too you also have to remind yourself that they really don't hate you mm-hmm they pretty much hate God, ultimately. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, Jesus says himself, it's like, they hated me first. Like, yeah. You will, the world will hate you, yeah. but take heart, they hated me first. So it's like, they don't hate us. They hate the message. They hate the message, like the our founder, as she said. It's like, if they already did what they did to, the, to our founder and how they, you know, yeah. what, what they did to him, we can't expect any different that's fantastic i think it's a good conversation and i think it's something that's really important for us we hope that was a good resource for you um and we just have to be on guard we have to be alert we have to be aware of what's happening around the world and uh, but also not in a fearful way but just be prepared she talked about like being prepared to have an answer um and so and we also talked about the importance of okay yes there's love there's being compassionate and being graceful and having mercy but also it comes a point where we do have to present the gospel message. Um, and so practice that. What we used to do in our community group is we would have, okay, I want everyone to like practice the elevator pitch. Oh, yeah. If you can just like articulate the gospel message in an elevator where you understand the whole story, practice that. Get ready for that so that we, when the time comes and you have an opportunity to share with someone a coworker or a neighbor or a family member that you are ready and equipped to share the gospel message in a loving, gracious way. And um, that's important. That's it for me. This was a great conversation. Thank you, Chris, for being here. Thank you, Caitlin, for joining us. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you, Winnie. Thank you, Tigger. Thank you, Christopher Walken. Anytime, kids. <laughs> TGFN, ta-ta for now. <laughs> See you next week. 